Good morning, church family, and uh, good morning to those that may be visiting uh, the church today or online. My name is Brian Robbins. I've been married to my wife, uh, Michelle, for 17 years. We have one son, Jackson, who is 13, and um, we joined this church in 2011, and since then we have experienced abounding Christian love, um, selfless devotion uh, by others within this body of believers wanted to take this opportunity to share two key verses of scripture and give a little bit of background uh, about myself and how these verses impacted my life's path and helped shape my perspective in both spiritual and secular ways. The passages are Proverbs 16:9, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Jeremiah 10:23 states, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. I can stand before you today and testify to the goodness of God in my life due to his grace towards me and my family. For those of you that don't know me, I uh, grew up in North Carolina near Charlotte area, Lake Norman area, uh, attended public school, graduated from High Point University in 2001. And throughout formative years of my life, like many others, uh, I looked for a sense of belonging, and I found it in various places through various applications. In a spiritual sense, I grew up going to church on Sundays and formed the bonds of friendship within that circle. Found a sense of belonging in the athletics field uh, as a mixed martial arts fighter. And upon graduation from college, I found my niche professionally as a furniture designer. Um, for a high-end furniture manufacturer in North Carolina. In 2002, uh, an executive within that company took notice of my work and talent and invited me to leave the company and form an S-corporation with him. I'm embarrassed to say that I yielded to pride in my abilities and talent and the idea of having my name on signage enticed me to give in. In February of 2002, I had set out as an independent furniture designer with this other individual. As a result, the years of 2002 and 2004 were indeed some of the darkest years of my life. The business that was once a creative hub uh, had evolved into a hostile work environment. The normal eight-hour day that I was accustomed to had transformed into long 12-hour days and included weekends. The revenue stream dried up and I found myself isolated and these circumstances eventually took their toll on me. And in December of 2004, I ended up in the hospital due to exhaustion, due to long hours and unrelenting stress. And, and this is what I refer to as my rock bottom. I felt much like the prophet Jeremiah in that I was distraught and discouraged. Uh, the feelings, although emotional in nature, were in every way just as destructive as actually being walled in, just like the ancient Assyrians would do to prisoners in order for them to die off quickly. I was dating my future wife, Michelle, at the time, and she never advised me of the obvious sentiment, which was just quit. She patiently prayed for me and encouraged me to seek employment elsewhere. I eventually surrendered my pride and considered the fact that maybe the path I had chosen didn't align with God's course for my life. But as scripture states, God began to direct my steps in towards a new path. By laying down my pride, I eventually realized that talent wasn't enough. God's goodness and provision to me came in the form of a job offer from a company in McLean, Virginia in February of 2005. That's two months after that hospital incident. 
Michelle and I were married in May of 2005, that same year we relocated from North Carolina to Virginia, and we have been the recipients of his goodness in ways that we never would have imagined for ourselves. I don't know where each of you are in your life's journey, but I can state with confidence that these passages of Scripture contain the assurance that God is in control, and if you allow him to lead, you will have a you will be blessed with fulfillment, peace, and rest. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brian. Well, again, I'll extend my welcome and good morning. My name is Mike McCullum, one of the pastors here at Chantilly Bible Church. Thanks again, Brian. Uh, and as your story tells us, really, life, our lives are just a series of our choices, right? Each day we make hundreds, if not thousands of choices, and some big and some small. But if we go to the end of our lives and we add up all those choices, the result is the life we lived. So the question I ask is, are you and I free to make decisions, plans, choices, good or bad, wise or foolish, and we're accountable to the consequences of those choices, or are you and I part of some large predetermined plan that an all-powerful God is unfolding in us. In other words, do we live in the freedom of choice or in the sovereign will of God? So let me ask it another way. And I just realized right now I forgot to ask Aaron to give permission for this story. So there you go. All right. Uh, so uh, let me ask the question with a story. So about 12 years ago, in a room very similar to this room at a church, I was a single guy on staff and the church services had concluded. And I can remember standing in that room, looking across and seeing a beautiful young lady that I had admired for a while. And I can con concretely remember a voice inside my head, whether it was my own voice or maybe the Spirit's prompting, but that voice said, if you don't ask this girl out, someone smarter than you will, and they will reap the benefits and rewards of being with her. So it was at that moment that I, uh, I resolved that I would ask Aaron out, and I did, and we dated, and we got engaged and married, and here we are 12 years later raising our family and serving the Lord together with you guys. So my question is, 12 years ago, did I make a free and wise choice in that moment to ask Aaron out? Or was God working out some sort of fixed, sovereign plan that included Aaron and I sharing and spending our lives together? Was it a good choice on my part or God's sovereign will? People have been wrestling with this question for millennia, and one commentator that I found in my research really framed that question well, looking at a couple of historical literary um, examples that kind of explain the two sides of the coin, of free choice versus a predetermined bigger plan. Uh, on, on one hand, he brought up, do you guys remember the Greek tragedy of uh, Oedipus Rex? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, but it's written by Sophocles. And it's the story of a young man who is visited by an oracle that tells him about the horrors that will befall his life in the future, including the killing of his own father. And so Oedipus tries with all his might and all his free choice to avoid that fate, but alas, 
ends up fulfilling the oracle's prophecy, showing that no one can escape their predetermined fate, no matter how hard they try. And this commentator referenced another great literary work to showcase the other side of the question. It's the great theological trilogy called Back to the Future. (laughs) If you remember, at the end of the final movie, Marty McFly is with his girlfriend, and they're holding a message that they brought back from the future that was now erased. And so they asked Doc, what does this mean? If you remember Doc's response, he says, it means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. And to be honest, that's the cultural mindset we live in today. Every social media influencer, every motivational speaker, everyone that's ever told you that you can achieve your dreams, you can control your destiny if you work hard, grind, get up earlier than anybody else, buy my product, you too can write your own future and it will be awesome. So who's right? Sophocles, that everything is predetermined and we are just subject to a greater plan beyond our control, or Doc Brown, that our future is unwritten and is left to us to choose and to create it. Well, as you can imagine, the answer is deeper and more wonderful than we could imagine. So open with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. So as you open to Proverbs 16, we're going to see that it actually speaks directly to the question that we're posing. Are our lives free to choose how we want to live, or is everything unfolding this, sit, this set, fixed plan of a sovereign God? So you can follow along as I read. I'm going to read Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4, skip to verse 9, and then skip to verse 33. So you can follow along on the screen if you want. Proverbs 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his step. In verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So let's look at uh, verse 9 together. As verse 9 kind of stands as like a key summary verse for this truth that we're going to dive deeper into, it says this, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. So let's start with the phrase, the heart of man plans his way. So what does that mean? Well, it refers to the biblical truth that our, of our freedom and our ability and accountability of choice. It speaks to the reality that you and I have been given the ability to choose. So we look at our world around us, we look at our own lives, and inside we make a decision from our heart on how we want to live and how we want to move forward. So good choices and bad choices, wise choices, foolish choices, big choices, small choices, you and I make plans, we make decisions, we make choices, and we have the freedom under God to do so. So the scriptures are full of verses that speak to the reality of our freedom and accountability of our choice. So even if we just stay in Proverbs, a book that's devoted 
to telling us how to make those wise choices, we can see this truth. So follow along with me on the screen. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. My son, do not lose sight of these, but keep sound wisdom and discretion. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. In other words, our lives are a series of choices. Opportunities to do good or evil, to act wisely or foolishly, to follow God or turn from Him. And the choice is ours, so we ought to make good choices. And it's not simply because of the consequences in this life, but our lives, our choices are being kept and recorded. And when our days are through, we will be accountable before the judge for how we lived. Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So you see the truth here that we are accountable to God for our choices, the plans and lives we live. The heart of man plans his way. You and I live in the freedom and accountability of our choices, and no one is forcing us into anything. It all falls on us. So, was Doc Brown then right? <laughs> our future then is, is whatever we make, it's wide open. Well, not quite. <laughs> so let's keep reading. So let's jump back to our verse, Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord establishes his steps. Again, we ask, what does that mean? So this is speaking to the simultaneous truth that along with our freedom and accountability of choice, God is working a sovereign plan over all things. It means you and I might have to create a new bucket or category in our mind one in which our free choice and God's sovereignty exist together. There's a tension there we need to embrace. I remember listening to a pastor once, and they, they asked him, man, how do you reconcile these two things? And he goes, you don't have to reconcile friends. They're friends. They work together. But if you are looking for a place in your mind to put this tension, a bucket, where you, I suggest this, wherever the bucket is that you put the Trinity, okay? One God and three persons, or maybe the bucket where we put the incarnation, that Jesus is completely God and completely man. Or how about this? I, the bucket where you have the eternality of God. Like I can kind of get that God exists forever going forward, but I cannot wrap my mind that God has existed forever in the past. 
wherever that bucket is for those things for you, there is room in that bucket for our free choice and God's complete sovereignty to work together. But what does it really mean when we talk of God's sovereignty? It's not just that God is all-powerful, and he is. It's not just that God is all-knowing, and he is. The sovereignty of God speaks to the active exercise of his rule over all things. It refers to the idea that everything that happens is happening according to his plan, his intention, and he is working for his redemptive purposes in all things. So maybe looking at another passage would help frame this. So God speaks to this idea of his sovereignty through Isaiah. In Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, I'll put them on the screen, where God says of himself, remember this, and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God says, I am God and there is no other, none like me. And that it is not simply that he has the knowledge of the future, declaring the end from the beginning, but that he is working the counsel, uh, this counsel, in accomplishing of his purposes. And did you catch that? That everything is working for that purpose. From the simple flying of a bird to the lives and choices of men, all are working to accomplish God's set purposes. The Apostle Paul would reflect this same sentiment when he highlights God's sovereign purposes in Ephesians 1 11, where it says, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Jesus, God works all things according to the counsel of his will, all things. Every bird that flies, every life that lives, every star that shines, every moment of all things throughout all time is working towards his purpose because God is sovereign over all things. So are you still wondering how far that sovereignty reaches, how far it goes? Well, let's again go back to Proverbs 16, verse 33, where it says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the best way, if you're not familiar with lots, is to think of lots like rolling dice. So if there was like a question that you had with no clear answer or direction, you could assign the answer to the lots and then throw them, and then whatever the lots landed on, that would be the answer that you went with. So what God is saying here is that it's not just the big things in life that God is sovereign over, but even the small things. Every lot cast in the lap, every die tossed in Vegas, 
Its outcome is overseen and is working toward the purpose and plan of God. God is sovereign and working his goodwill in all things, big and small. Which brings us to one more category of all things that God is sovereign over. And it's honestly, in my opinion, the most difficult of all things to trust God's sovereignty in. It's not just that God is sovereign over the big things and the small things, but even the bad things. How does God's sovereignty work in the pain, injustice, abuse, suffering, and evil in the world? Now, honestly, this would, should take more time than we have for today. But God does speak to this. And again, we can go back to Proverbs 16 and look at verse 4, where God says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the, day, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So this means that God is sovereign over all things, all things, even the sin and darkness and pain and suffering in our lives. Now, this is a heavy and a hard thing. Because all of us have probably cried out at one point or another when we or someone we love has experienced suffering, pain, abuse, injustice, even death, and we don't see how a loving, sovereign, good God could let this happen. In other words, how can a good, sovereign God allow evil and suffering to happen without himself being the cause of evil or evil. Well, let me try and help uh, with a story from Scripture uh, than another story from my life. Do you guys remember um, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? So Joseph, if you remember, was the youngest brother of his family. And his older brothers were all super jealous of him, right? So what did they decide to do? They decided to kidnap him, uh, and sell him into slavery and tell his father that he had been murdered. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery and he goes to Potiphar's house. And although he's working really hard and doing good things, if you remember the story, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of attempted rape. And so now Joseph, even though he did nothing wrong, is thrown into prison. And now he's in prison, and if you remember, he meets someone there, uh, and he says, hey, remember me when you get out. And what does the guy do? Forgets him. And so now Joseph is sitting in prison for years being forgotten. And if you know the story, God had gifted Joseph with the ability to interpret dreams, and that's what the guy in prison who had been with him remembered. So one day, Pharaoh needed a dream interpreted. They remember Joseph. They go grab him out of jail, and he goes and interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh's dream was about an impending famine that was coming over Egypt. And so since God had gifted Joseph with the ability to interpret it, not only was Egypt able to plan and prepare uh, and protect themselves, but they were also able to protect all the surrounding nations, including the family of Joseph's brother. And Pharaoh was so impressed that he promoted Joseph to second in command. So flash forward a little bit, and now Joseph's brothers come to Egypt, and they discover that the brother that they had betrayed was now serving as second in command of the empire. And they are broken and scared and fearful for their lives. 
And what does Joseph tell his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20, as he reflects on the choices they made to sin against him and God? He says this, Do not fear, for am I the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What did Joseph say? He said, brothers, you made your choices. You are accountable to it. And they were sinful and evil and they brought about my suffering. But God, who is greater and stronger and more good than even your wickedness, was working in and above your evil plans. Joseph knew a good sovereign God who was ruling and reigning his redemptive plan in perfect power, even using evil to accomplish his good, all without God authoring evil or being evil himself. So I feel the need to pause here. And I think it's a little bit of that kind of pastoral heart. It says, I want to clear up a couple things just in case there's some confusion on this point. First, God's sovereignty and miraculous ability to redeem evil and suffering to his good and perfect purposes does not mean evil and suffering and abuse and injustice are good. In Isaiah chapter 5, God specifically says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Evil is never good. Sin is never good. Any abuse, pain, hurt, or damage that you've experienced by those things is not good. But our God, hear this, is so great beyond our comprehension that he can even defeat evil by making it bow down to his good purposes. And the second thing is, as we look at the truth of God's sovereignty over the pain and suffering and evil we experience, that does not mean, hear this, you have to put on a sovereignty mask. And what I mean is this, suffering hurts. Pain hurts. Evil and injustice hurt. And it's okay to bring your tears and bring your doubts and bring your pains and bring your confusion, brokenness, and despair to God. And you want permission to do that? Read the Psalms. We don't have to force a smile and say, well, God is sovereign, so this doesn't hurt or isn't confusing or isn't painful. No, we can take our brokenness but we run to God, not from God. His sovereignty doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but it means it isn't pointless and it certainly isn't hopeless. He is at work and it means we have to have the faith to trust. So I'll share another story again from our lives about walking through suffering. And we've shared it before, so you might've heard it. Um, and it's not necessarily a story as a result of someone else's suffering, but still a part of living in the suffering of this sin-cursed world. So many of you know our family story that our, our kiddos are adopted because Aaron and I walked through infertility. And that season was so hard and so heavy and so dark. And I can remember as we were going to doctor's appointments and getting tested, it quickly was revealed that I was diagnosed with male factor infertility. And the doctor was saying that it's pretty much impossible that Aaron and I would have our own biological children. So it was crushing. And I can remember that we not only 
I, I think we're getting a second opinion, but wanted to even get like a third opinion just to make sure that this dream that we had really wasn't going to happen. And I can remember as we were waiting for the results of those last tests that we decided, hey, let, we need to get out of town for just a little bit. Let's get out. Let's go visit the hill country. Just kind of get out of here. And so when we came back and, and we were bringing our luggage inside, and I went and grabbed the mail from the mailbox. I saw that the final lab results were there. So I remember sneaking into uh, the bathroom uh, and opening up to look at it because I was anticipating that it was going to be bad, hard news, and I wanted to be able to, like, compose myself and then present it to Aaron. So I opened up the letter, and it confirmed that we were infertile. Uh, we would not have our own biological children. So I went into the living room, and we sat down together, and I told her the results and showed them to her, and we, we wept. I mean, we cried. And it was like this kind of weighted blanket that had been over us was just pressing down even heavier on our lives. And I'll never forget at that moment what we did, and it was purely the grace of God. So with our tears and our heaviness and with our suffering, we, we got down on our knees on that living room rug, and through our cries, we prayed. And this is what we prayed. God, we don't, we don't feel it right now. And in fact, we're even struggling to believe it right now, but we're going to confess it out loud to you and to each other. You are good, and we trust you. And we could only say that because of all the people that had poured into us and really understanding and developing an understanding of who God is for years and years so that we believed God was good and God was sovereign. And we held on to that. And for all of us in this room, as that truth of God's sovereignty sinks deeper into our hearts, that weight of blanket of pain can be, can be transformed into that warm blanket of the comfort of the promise that God is good and God is sovereign and there's a good at work we can't see. So is God sovereign over all things? Yes. Sovereign over a young man whose brothers kidnapped him and sold him into slavery? Yes. Sovereign over another young man who resolved to ask a beautiful woman out on a date 12 years ago? Yes. Sovereign over that same couple as they walk through the heartache and suffering of infertility and a dream dying? Yes. Sovereign over every bird in the air, every die cast at the casino, every ruler on every throne, every hair on every head, and every moment over every one of us all working out the counsel of his good and perfect will? Yes. And that will, that purpose of God, will it one day make everything sad come untrue? Will it triumph over evil and suffering, not simply by wiping it away, but in the ultimate triumph and making evil and suffering bow to him as tools he uses to bring about goodness, beauty, life, and joy unending? Because he's good and he's sovereign, yes. And do we have choice? Being responsible and accountable for the life we live, the plans we make, and the decisions we press forward in. Yes. So again, I'll ask the question that we asked at the very beginning. One more time. Do we live 
in the freedom of choice or under the sovereign will of God? Yes. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So what now? Like literally now. How does this tension-filled truth change this moment in our lives right now? And I'll tell you, friends, it changes everything. It means that your life matters. Your choices matter. You matter. And for those of us who claim Christ, who have given ourselves in faith to God, it means that there is no such thing as just another day. It means that every moment of every day is an opportunity to choose, to put on display the truth, hope, and beauty of the God who saved us. It means that we take seriously this gift of life and salvation we have and make the most of the fleeting moments we have to make a mark on eternity. It means we take God seriously, prioritizing him and our relationship with him above anything else. It means we get serious about our sin and what's entangling us and keeping us from living the impactful life that God has called us to. It means we repent and turn in obedience to our kind and gracious Savior. It means we recommit ourselves to each other, the church, to being together, to living together, to spurring each other on to who we are in Christ. It means getting real. For some of us, it might mean to reconcile that broken relationship finally. It might mean to take that step of faith God's been prodding you in. It mean, may mean to make that generous and sacrificial act of obedience or confess the idols that are fighting for your love and identity. And for all of us, it means we choose to be bold and take and share the truth of Jesus to those God has placed in our lives. It means we live, hear this, it means we live like we believe what we believe. It means we can confess like the Apostle Paul that every moment of our lives matters. When he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So not only do we press forward with intentionality in the choices that we make, like Paul, in that faithful living, but we can also fall back into a sovereign rest. That above all our strivings, our faithfulness and our faithlessness, through all our triumphs and trials, our laughter and our tears, we know that the king over all things, our good and sovereign God is working out his perfect and redeeming plan. And we can trust even in the darkest of times that our sovereign God is working his good. And again, like Paul, we can confess the truth of Romans 8.28 that says, and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose.
And lastly, for those in here or those watching online (laughs) that do not know this good and sovereign God, deep down inside, you know you don't know him. You've heard of him, but you don't know him. It means that this moment right now was planned before all time. So yeah, you chose to get up, you chose to get dressed, you chose to drive here or to go online and and find us. But those choices were a working of a good and sovereign God that planned that you would hear this message here right now today. The message of your only hope, that your story and my story is actually his story of his plan to rescue us through his son Jesus. When Paul would talk about God's story, his plan, his full purposes, he would say of Jesus in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come in that plan, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because friends, life is a series of, of choices. And all of us have fallen short in our choices. Our hearts are selfish and shown in the hurtful, self-centered, prideful, lustful, greedy, hateful ways we choose to spend our lives. And so we stand guilty in what the Bible calls sin. Our attempts to be our own sovereign God by running from and rejecting him. And it's why this world and our lives are so broken. And how do I know that's your story? Because it's my story. It's our story. Do you remember when I mentioned a little while ago, uh, Hebrews 9.27, and it said, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What that means is one day, we all will take our place before a holy God. And all of our sinfulness will be laid bare. And we will stand guilty and condemned before God. And in that moment, we won't disagree. Or on that day, when we stand before God and when he looks at us, our sin will be nowhere to be found. Why? Because of that sent son, Jesus, who came to redeem us. Because he came for us. And although he lived the perfect, sinless life of obedience we should have, he took the cross of our sin, your sin, on himself, in our place, in your place. He takes our sin and trades with us his perfect record of righteousness. So the reason on that day before God... We will not stand condemned before God is because God will never condemn the same sin twice. It's already been condemned in Jesus on the cross. He took, he stepped into the condemnation we deserve, taking upon his body and soul the penalty and curse and death we deserve. And to prove our redemption is real, that our God is good and sovereign and working out the good plan of our rescue, our dead Savior rose to life again and he lives today and he lives forevermore. And forgiveness and mercy 
and never-ending hope and healing are for those who stop running from God, stop trusting in themselves, stop trying to be your own good sovereign God, and turn in faith to believe Jesus as their only hope for salvation. You think you showed up this morning or tuned in online by chance? No way, friend. It was the good, sovereign, eternal will of God that you would hear this message today and respond to it and turn to him. Our good and sovereign God of heaven wrote this moment for you. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Give yourself to Jesus today. If you want to talk more about it, I'll be up here. Some pastors and elders will be here. We would love to talk to you more about that. And for all of us, let us all trust in the truth of the wonderful promise that God is good and God is sovereign. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are above and beyond what our hearts and minds can fully grasp and understand. And that's what makes you God. And so, Lord, as we think about the idea of, of our choice in your sovereign will, even if that brings tension or, or struggle in our minds, I pray it would just cause us to bow down and worship. And God, I pray for our, my friends in here who are believers that know you, God, that this would stir in us a passion to get real, to get serious about our fleeting lives, and to make choices of obedience and faithfulness to who you are all the while resting that above all things, you're working out your sovereign plan. And I pray for those that are listening online or those that are in here right now that do not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would turn to you. They would stop trying to be the God and Lord and Savior of their own lives, but they would turn to the good and sovereign God and to his son, Jesus, who died for them and rose again. Let us turn our hearts and voices in worship to that great and good King. Amen.